0: Welcome to another episode. I am V, and this is The Sussex Set. This is episode 20. It really feels just like yesterday that I started this podcast. That's incredible. So if you've listened to the majority or all 20 of these episodes, thank you so much for just being a subscriber and and a participant in the conversations that we have on a weekly basis. So uh, I really appreciate it. This week, I am spotlighting one of the charity/ slash programs that Sussex Royal is now following on their Instagram page. As you know, they asked for suggestions in their comments of who are some forces for change that the people may know about. People in groups who might not get the attention and spotlight that they deserve, but they're doing the hard work anyway. One of the initiatives is one that I had heard about before. It's called positive change. P a W S is an animal pause, or in this case, dog pause. So positive change is a charity founded by really it's a program, but it's founded by Zach scow. Now he is the founder of a no kill shelter called Marley's mutts, but positive change is a Marley's mutts program. And, it's a charity that pairs shelter dogs with inmates in California's prison systems, giving both the animals and the inmates second chances at life on the outside by ultimately fighting recidivism. I adore positive change as an initiative, and I was really glad to see that Harry and Megan gives it a lot more attention because it's definitely what it deserves. So here's how positive change works. Marley's Mutz partners with California state prisons and they select 24 to 30 inmates and eight to 10 at-risk shelter dogs for each prison program cycle. And over the course of the 14 weeks, which is the length of a cycle, the inmates complete a very challenging block of courses, which involves weekly homework assigned and personal goals. So the goal for the positive change program is to aid the rehabilitation of both man and canine, measuring success using certain metrics such as increased reported sense of camaraderie among the inmates, uh, an increased reported sense of self-esteem and social value. Now, those are just for the men. For the dogs, they use metrics such as increased signs of trust and respect with handlers and other humans. Also increased balanced social behavior toward other dogs. Now, they have many more metrics than just the two I listed for each, whether it's the inmate or the dog. So definitely go to their website to see more about how they actually measure the progress throughout the cycle. So let's talk a little bit about their inmate selection. Inmates are selected based on conduct while they are incarcerated and demonstrated interest in the program. Inmates must have zero or very few points accrued and are required to fill out a survey and write an essay outlining why they want to participate in the program. They don't discriminate against violent offenders, but they do exclude sex offenders and anyone with a history of animal abuse. Most of the men have been in prison for a long time, but all of them will get out. I think that's a great distinction. So they probably pick people who can see their release date, if you will. And some of them will be released from prison very soon after they begin the program. So the program is set up to establish compassion, develop skills, combat recidivism, and prepare those inmates for healthy and productive lives after incarceration. Every year, they train over 400 inmates to handle dogs, and they save over 150 dogs. That's every single year. Positive change is affecting positive change. There's just no other way to put it. They are learning a skill, they are learning about themselves, and they're hoping for a better life when they get out. There are many ways to help or donate, but your donation helps to give them money for supplies. It helps to cover the pet's vet's bills. It helps to provide shelter, and it also helps to fund the training for the dogs. Now, they also have an Amazon wish list, which is simply a registry on Amazon.com. They have listed specific items that they would like for if you wanted to help and purchase some of those items for people to purchase and when you purchase them, they get sent directly to Marley's Mutts. You don't have to worry about shipping and if you feel like you don't want to donate and give money, because some people don't like to give money, they like to help in other ways, you can help in this way. And what you purchase will go directly to the animals. So I will put that link in the description. So please make sure you check it out. And for more information on Molly's Mutts and positive change, please go to Marley's slash positive change. I will also link that in the description. So in this episode, as promised, I am going to uh, provide you with some of my takeaways. I won't call it a review. A review. I don't really have a right to review this. <laughs> I'm not a literary critic. I'm not a magazine critic. I I really, my opinion really just doesn't matter. But I was trying to give everybody enough time to buy the magazine or buy the digital copy uh, before I did that last week but there are so many things I want to say about this magazine just the, from the way that she put it together you can really feel her tone for her influence the tone of the magazine is really it's it's so deliberate you know it's so well we'll get into it but it it, it it's really touching it's it's a compassionate magazine in a way that you haven't seen, especially a magazine like Vogue, High Fashion, uh, come across. At least I haven't in my history of looking at Vogue magazine. But each, you know, each editor brings their own flair. And I uh, would imagine each guest editor brings their own experience to the table. But I really hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. And so let's get into the eight takeaways that I have for Forces of Change. Number one the duchess is highly respected worldwide. She's so respected. And that's the immediate takeaway that I got from the magazine, particularly because when you read Edward Ennenville's piece and he's describing how it all came together, and you can really feel how he feels about her. And I thought he did a really great job coming through with his authentic voice in written words, which is much harder to do, than one would appreciate if they had to do it themselves. He really came across, and I really feel, at least a slice of what he feels for Megan having worked with her so closely for the last seven months on this. Both Edward and Megan have the power to summon the world to pay attention. That's really important. Here you have two brown people, a biracial woman, American woman, and a Ghanaian born first black editor of British Vogue, and they literally caught the world's attention, not just the fashion world. But in the piece by Edward, he speaks so highly of Megan, even saying, on a personal note, I can't overstate how much it meant to see His Royal Highness, the Duke of Sussex, marry this brilliant biracial American powerhouse. Hear, hear hear, here. But you can tell that he respected her before he met her. And to me, that says a lot about Megan. He continues, I didn't have to think. I knew the answer was yes. We could call it forces for change, I said and the adventure began, and boy, was it an adventure. From the outset, I discovered someone with a real editor's mind who knew how to align what she wanted to say with everything we stand for here at British Vogue. I really appreciated his input, not just as an editor of the magazine, but now as someone who I have no doubt considers himself a friend of Megan and she considers him a friend of hers. You get to see him speak about someone that he just respects on a human level. And so... That really sets the tone for the magazine, and it gives us more glimpses into who she is and how she works with others. You know, he demonstrates firsthand knowledge of her work ethic, disclosing that they started in the winter and just wrapped the project up in July. That's seven months. That's quite a long time. So... What's super cute is the insight that he gives into the progression of their relationship where he was shocked and nervous to receive the email from her. The initial email where she asked him, what do you think about if I did a guest editor spot at at Vogue to talking about how they have emoji filled text conversations by spring? I think it demonstrates the ease with which people can get along with a likable person. And it's not very hard to do that. If you're likable and someone else is likable, even if one person is likable, they're probably going to win the other person over just by their likability. So this is why it doesn't make sense when people say certain things about Megan, because time after time after time, people who never met her until after she became a duchess, they have basically been repeating the same things that people who have known her for decades have been saying about her. So, uh, (laughs) you know, this is where critical thinking kind of comes in here, but uh, or should come in for your layperson. But of course, we've been new. He also talks about how Megan continued to work on the magazine even soon after the birth of Archie. Now, of course, we have been seeing Harry all over the place, not just because he works hard, but because of who he's married to. If she wanted to, I have said this so many times, she could sit at home do whatever she wanted to do, just sit back, kick back, be a new mother. But he's married to and living with someone who just had a baby, but they're not even really taking a true maternity leave. You know, that's pretty boss. So I think it would be hard to know that there's work to be done and then sit at home when all he had to do was catch the baby. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So, Sis is really just showing people that hard work won't kill you, you know? And Edward is showing us by his own account how hardworking she is. My second takeaway is that Megan believes in herself and in her own abilities. So, reading the Vogue issue, it became clear to me why people who unfairly criticize her and call her names like Diva and Aloof and Snooty and Uppity, it's not because she is those things. But we live in a world where self assurance and self belief are seen as arrogance. But anyone who knows her personally, which her critics do not, they describe her as the opposite of a diva. But they do describe her as confident, self-aware, and of a high self-worth. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. So through this magazine, I think Megan exhibits her confidence and her high appraisal of herself throughout the issue. And it's ironic because the issue isn't even about her specifically. But there's a class to the way that it is put together. But the fact that she's a guest editor demonstrates her belief in herself and the fact that she thought she could do it and she did it. She did it very well. To me, that says a lot. You know, that's like I like sports. I like football. I like basketball. And one of the things that this is a little bit of a tangent, but I just thought about it. One of the things that. I have always admired in some of my favorite players is that once it gets down to the last 30 seconds of a game, the last maybe even 10 seconds of a game, the person who's looking for the ball to score, to put their team over the top is the person I want driving my boat, driving my ship, driving the plane, whatever. I believe in you because you believe in yourself. You know, so she put herself in a position to say, pick me, give me the ball, coach. Let me show you how I can move us forward, move this forward, move this message forward. Maybe I'm giving too much credit, but I feel like she's moved Vogue magazine forward with this issue because she's shown us something different can be done. It can be gone about in a different way completely and it still be a massive success, you know, So she's definitely someone who bets on herself. That's what I love about Beyonce. That's what I love about Jay-Z. That's what I love about people like Barack and Michelle. I'm betting on myself, so you might want to bet on me too. She's demonstrating that. And to me, it also says that people who criticize her along lines of characterizing her as a diva, like they should think about where that criticism comes from because chances are, They don't have ownership of their own goals, their own hopes and dreams. Or perhaps they've never gone for anything. You know, they've never put themselves beyond what they were comfortable with. They've never gone outside of their comfort zone, not in a real way, not in a life changing way where if you fail and fall flat on your face, it's a massive setback as opposed to a massive success. But at least when you do that, you know that you tried and you don't have to look at yourself as or see yourself, whether it's true or not, as a coward at the end of the day, you know, and a lot of times people look, they take stock in their lives. And this is what I think happens with a lot of royal reporters. They take stock in their lives and they realize that we say it a lot and we joke about it a lot, but they want to be in a position like Megan. But even if they don't necessarily want to be in a position like hers, they look at their lives and they realize that they are not the best version of themselves. Therefore, they are bitter. Therefore, they they project onto people that they see as better than them. It's not that Megan thinks that she's better than anybody, but it's the people who are criticizing criticizing her, they think that Megan is better than them. You see how that works? To me, she's just demonstrating that all she's ever done is to believe in herself. And how she's gone about life has nothing to do with anybody else, whether they're a friend or a foe. She's demonstrated self-belief and work ethic. And it won't be easy to put her in the boxes that they hoped to put her in. Because from the ease with which she's reached out to Edward Innfull, just to plant the original idea of her guest editing the issue to her confidence in reaching out to Michelle Obama for the back cover interview, it's really just something to be admired. And instead of people asking, who does she think she is? I think they should be asking, how can I be more like her? And that's that's just straight facts. That's not shade at all. How can I be more like this person? She's showing you why we should all be more like ourselves, our best versions of ourselves, because she's showing us flat out that's exactly who she is. Number three, Megan is a connector and she is very well connected. Now it helps to be the Duchess of Sussex in a powerful family, but Megan has already demonstrated that before she was even royal, she was the boss of her of her life. A connector is a person with an extraordinary knack for making friends and acquaintances. Connectors are an elite group of people so expert in cultivating connections that they are the reason that the rest of us are connected to. So it's like a person who introduces you to someone and... You guys are like best friends, the person that they are introduced you to, but you haven't seen the connector in four or five years. It's just that they're so gregarious and charismatic and they love people. That's what causes them to be a connector. But it also is the very reason why they are so good at making friends. And you see that charisma at work when she goes on her engagements. You see the difference in how people respond to both her and Harry. Uh, I would imagine Harry's a connector as well, but... um, I'm saying that type of personality, people just respond to their genuineness because when you like people, people like you. That's just the way that life works. Megan has been able to maintain and cultivate friendships with people and doing so still that will serve her for the purpose of serving others. So imagine how impactful a friendship with Edward Ennenfeld or Michelle Obama or Barack Obama is and will be. You know, especially if you've worked with someone for six or seven months on something important like this issue, that's a bonding experience in and of itself. And what I really loved is when you see the one of the videos that Vogue posted before the magazine officially came out, she had her arm interlinked with Edwards as they were watching the video. I was just like, oh, my God, besties, because I, I just you could almost see. The, the work that was done, but also the bonding that was done and how relieved they both were that um, their baby was just about to come out or they're seeing it in, in, in motion while they're watching the video. So anyway, I feel like we get to see some of her connections at work with looking at who is included into the magazine, who contributed to the magazine. Brene Brown is someone that I have followed for years. I stumbled across the original TED Talk that she did, and that was a couple of years ago. But since then, she and Oprah have become really great friends, and um, I basically listen to everything that she does. Whenever <laughs> whenever I see her on something, I stop and I listen. But uh, she's included in the magazine, and the piece that she wrote talks about how social media can often cause us to want to come down on people who use social media to hurt or to shame us. Ooh, isn't that relevant? But coping with social media and social media cruelty, that's basically what her, what her piece is about. But she warns us against retaliating as one risks losing self-respect in the process here here but it's a great piece I recommend you read it. Um, Brene often talks about ideas that Megan seems to have lived by being open and honest about your feelings and not being ashamed of not being this way or not being that way and I'm not sure if Brene Brown and Megan are friends but I can see Brene Brown at the Power Woman Summit alongside. Oprah and Michelle and Megan and all the other powerhouses that we love and respect. So um, definitely check out her piece. It's called the only unfollow that broke my heart. Brene Brown researcher and expert on vulnerability and courage on coping with social media cruelty. And then also one of the biggest connections at work throughout the magazine Editing process, we got to see her connecting SmartWorks with Marks and Spencer, with her friend Mishananu, and others to come together to create this capsule collection for the benefit of other people. Like, to me, that is incredible. Again, she's showing us who she is. She can't say much, but she's showing us a lot. She's showing us more in a year's time than many people have shown us in damn near a decade. And that ain't shade, but those are the facts. If you disagree, please let me know. Correct me if I'm wrong. So moving on, the next takeaway is that, and I mentioned this before, it is a kind, it is a compassionate and thoughtful issue of Vogue magazine Uh, there are pieces that stand out to me along that theme. I think the overall tone of the issue to me was compassion and thoughtfulness from the piece about fashion becoming friendly to the viewpoint of Jamila Jamil and, of course, Brene Brown, as I just mentioned. So the piece on how fashion became friendly, that piece talks about how the fashion industry as a whole it seems to be less cutthroat than it used to be. And that's from the perspective of people who are right in the thick of it. And while it's still a tough industry to break into the heads of houses and the labels, they seem not to be as cruelly competitive as they used to be or as the culture once was and not very long ago. And they talk about how So many of them are also more willing to help up and coming designers find their way into the industry without cutting them down or without being so stingy with ideas and resources. So it's nice to see a piece like that included in Vogue magazine it's it's a little bit meta because it's fashion talking about fashion but it's still compassion in a way that I again I have not seen in previous Vogue magazines it shows that there are decisions made as as to what's included what's not it is not just ads people will try to have you believe it's just ads of high-priced clothing but Megan is showing you that it can be much more than that in Jamila Jamil's piece I thought that it was really, really great. She's another one who her voice really comes across in her writing. In this piece, it really does. And she encourages people, male or female, not to be so harsh on their bodies, you know, and not to sum up their self-worth by how much they weigh or how they look or how much cellulite they have. You may remember that Jamila Jamil founded I Weigh, Sussex Royal, Followed them a couple of months ago when they were focusing on mental health. I believe that was May. We live in a world where people have been told that they have or don't have value or don't have a voice for the most shallow reasons. And Jamila seeks to dismantle that. And again, her voice in the piece really does stand out. That piece is called Come As You Are. The subtitle is Jamila Jamil wants you to be in a good place with your body image. In fact, she wants you to stop thinking about it altogether and give that headspace to the things that matter. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. My fifth takeaway is this. Megan is deliberate and she's meticulous in everything she does. So in seeing all of the unseen pieces form a picture of the entire Vogue magazine editing process. I've been very touched seeing the thank you notes written by Megan to the people who contributed their time and effort to make that magazine the success that it was. You know, you saw one from Matt Haig. He's the man who wrote a note from the beach. And we also saw one posted from the ladies of the Luminary Bakery. To me, this shows that Megan is very thoughtful and will go to great lengths to express that gratitude. I just think that's wonderful, especially in an age where people don't hardly handwrite anything. But her deliberateness and her meticulousness can be felt throughout the magazine. Like in the backstage pass piece uh, where Peter Lindbergh, the photographer, is talking about his process He talks about how Megan said to him, whatever you do, I want to see freckles. To me, that means she had a certain tone in mind for the magazine, one of realness and authenticity, and she was deliberate in going about seeing it presented well. My sixth takeaway is that Megan seeks out people who are good, and she seeks out opportunities to do good. I know people tried to call this issue liberal and political, which it is not, But there's a reason that she chose to highlight a lot of activists. I think she seeks out people who are spending their time on this earth to help others, in addition to following their passion, in addition to contributing to the world in a regular, normal, everyday way, however large or small. It doesn't matter if you're providing interview clothes for women Or if you're encouraging people around body positivity or encouraging young people to vote, there's something to be done with our lives. And we're here for that reason. And I think that's what this issue is helping to show. Centering your time around service to others is the mark of a life well lived. And I have always believed that. That doesn't mean you can't enjoy the finer things in life. And most people in the magazine, included in the magazine, perhaps do enjoy the finer things. They can afford those finer things. But one can do both. And doing both things doesn't make someone a hypocrite. For example, Megan bought herself a Cartier watch when Suits was renewed for a seventh season. That's a critical season. That means residuals for the rest of your life. As long as it's playing on TV somewhere. That doesn't mean that she can't volunteer at the local pantry, which she actually did in Toronto. She didn't have to, but she did. This is why the accusations of elitism around the magazine are empty. My seventh takeaway is this Newsflash, she's a feminist. While men are included in the issue, it's largely a pedestal for women, women of all kinds in all places, being forces in their respective areas of choice. And it's a way that Megan has demonstrated that she's not just giving you lip service. She's putting her name, she's putting her time, she's putting her energy to use to back up the things that she has said and has always said in her life. And she's not just backing up what she says and believes, But she's demonstrating how she plans to move in the future with her platform. Now, she said that she would highlight women. She said that she was a feminist. This is coming into the royal family. Well, she's showing us no different in this issue. She didn't just include women. She included women with strong voices, women with a reputation for not just being quiet and doing as they're told, but... Women who are not afraid to step into their glory and bring others along with them. She's presented us with trailblazers next to promising teenagers, side by side for the world to see, people from Laverne Cox, her being the first trans woman to ever grace the cover of any vogue, to Sudanese model Adut Akesh, who was once a refugee and who coincidentally not only graced this September Vogue of the British Vogue, but she's also on the cover of German Vogue and I believe the Italian Vogue, all the September issue. <laughs> so shout out to her. And but perhaps it takes someone with a worldview like Megan to put together a magazine so impactful. In short, I feel like she's saying women's voices matter, women's ideas matter. Women's outcomes matter. And Megan, she exhibits this beautifully. And my eighth and final takeaway is probably my favorite. This is a flex. Megan is flexing so hard with this. A flex is a way to show someone your strength and your power. This magazine is a huge flex. Now, I'm not saying that she put herself on the guest editing spot just so she could flex but sis is gonna flex no matter what she does because of how she does it but she's really flexing on this i think this is megan's way of telling her critics to go suck it and if the best revenge is living well then people's heads must be about to explode we saw how they actually did explode when the vogue initially dropped. But all this time while the press was coming down on her for holding her bump and for not allowing the press to pick over her and her new baby at the Lindo Wing and for going to Wimbledon and trying to have a good time with her friends, she was behind the scenes the whole time being a boss bitch. And we knew that. But now we see it. We see it in practice. We see the work. Not only that, but she's showing that she's just getting started. One of my favorite quotes about critics is, or haters, is, Dear haters, I have so much more for you to be mad about. Just be patient. And I think that's where we are. That's what this is. Sis really flexed so hard, and this Vogue is only a slice of what we're going to get to see Megan do. So I cannot wait for more rollouts. In the meantime, I'm savoring this moment and patiently waiting for the next time she chooses to flex her muscle because she will and very soon. So she doesn't give thought to her critics. She carries on just being Megan, and that's why we love her, isn't it? And so with that, I'll close by reading Matt Haig's piece, A Note from the Beach. Now, this comes as a request, and it's actually literally on topic, so why the hell not? And side note, this is actually not a poem. I know it's called a poem in the magazine, but Matt Haig said himself on his own Instagram, girl, that it's not a poem, so I'm just going to call it a piece. This is a note from the beach, a personal favorite of Her Royal Highness, the Duchess of Sussex. Hello. Hello. I am the beach. I am created by waves and currents. I am made of eroded rocks. I exist next to the sea. I have been around for millions of years. I was around at the dawn of life itself. And I have to tell you something. I don't care about your body. I am a beach. I literally don't give a fuck. I am entirely indifferent to your body mass index. I am not impressed that your abdominal muscles are visible to the naked eye. I am oblivious. You are one of 200,000 generations of human beings. I have seen them all. I will see all the generations that come after you too. It won't be as many. I'm sorry. I hear the whispers the sea tells me. The sea hates you the poisoners. That's what it calls you. A bit melodramatic, I know, but that's the sea for you. All drama. And I have to tell you something else. Even the other people on the beach don't care about your body. They don't. They are staring at the sea or they are obsessed with their own appearance. And if they are thinking about you, why do you care? Why do humans worry so much about a stranger's opinion? Why don't you do what I do? Let it wash all over you. Allow yourself just to be as you are. Just be. Just Beach. That's all I have for today. Thank you for checking out this episode. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, all the places. And I will catch you guys next time. Peace. I'm a bad bitch. You can't kill me. Kill me.